If you'd like a way to earn extra money by giving your opinion on products that you already use or new products that are currently in development, you should check out User Interviews. User Interviews connects researchers with quality participants. Participants earn money for their feedback on real products, and it's free to sign up. You can apply to your first study in under five minutes, and most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one -on -one interview. This extra income would be great to add to an emergency fund or an investment account, or even if you just want to treat yourself. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, along with my wife for life, Meg. And tonight she is going to talk to us about Sean Kingy. I said that right? Yeah, you did. For you some reason, I was like, we practiced this and I still felt like I said it wrong. We rehearsed. We rehearsed. Step one, two. Step one, two. Uh, no, you got it. You're good. Uh, wife for life sounds like a shirt that I would wear like before I ran a marathon before my wedding. But I would not mm -hmm. do that at all. I would not run a marathon. It's like a bachelorette party tea. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Give me those vibes. <laughs> I like it. All right, friends. Trigger warning this week. Uh, this case does involve a child. There is sexual abuse. There's murder. It's a sad one. It is a sad one. So Oof. buckle in, baby. 24-year-old Cheryl was heading home after working her retail job in Ipswich, Queensland, Australia. In November of 1987, as she was pulling out of the parking lot, she was flagged down by a woman, and Cheryl opted to stop for her, thinking like, hey, maybe this person needs help. She pulled up to the woman and rolled down her window to ask if she needed something, and as she began to speak, a man came out of the darkness, reached into her car, grabbed the keys out of her ignition, and held Cheryl at knife point. Oh, don't stop your people. <laughs> right. Oof. Not even if there's a fire, just keep But going. especially at night, don't stop for people. Oh, for sure. Especially if you're by yourself, too. In secluded parking lots. Not saying anything. Like, I appreciate that Cheryl was, like, trying to... Yeah, that's... It's out. a real one to... And it's not... I mean, I would have stopped to see... If I... I say that, but if I saw a woman by herself, I would probably... My first yeah. instinct would be to stop. Like, lock Sister the code. door, crack the window. Hey, you okay? Mm-hmm. That's it. Fortunately for Cheryl, though, a work friend pulled up to see if everything was all right, and the man and woman rushed into their own white station wagon and took off. Cheryl drove directly to the police station. She was like, nope, not doing this. She gave them a detailed report of the incident that had just happened. She recalled that the woman had been a larger woman with burgundy hair, and there was a skinny man who seemed like maybe he was in his late 20s or early 30s. And she gave the license plate number LLE439. But after further investigation, that plate number actually tracked to a Toyota Corolla in a different state. So it wasn't quite right. It wasn't for a white station. Mm -hmm. Investigators wanted to find out who was responsible. So they ran a very small article in a local paper reporting the crime and just asking for any information that somebody might have about these people and this vehicle. And two nurses came forward. 
after that article ran. Both of them worked at the Ipswich General Hospital and both had been attacked in the parking lot. One of the women had locked her doors and drove off while the man chased her banging on her windows. And the other woman, Nicole, had actually gotten out of her car to help the man because he was like, can you get out and show, like, point me in the right direction? And she did. But what she noticed in his vehicle was that he had, like, a very large burlap sack and rope in his backseat. And as another person who worked at the hospital happened to drive by, she jumped back in her own car and drove off. Nicole told police that the license plate was LLF 429. So really close to what Cheryl had thought. Yeah. LLE 439, LLF 429. Nicole's plate recollection came back with nothing attached. So they kind of just started running through plates that were close to these two numbers to see if anything stuck, stuck out. Two weeks later, on November 27th, the white station wagon was spotted again, this time in Noosa Heads. A couple had ran into a disheveled man on the beach, 31-year-old Elizabeth Young's normally amiable dog. She had like a very nice dog, but on this day, this dog growled at this guy. He was dressed a little weird for the beach. She just was getting an overall bad vibe about him after she was like, tried to say hi, um, but he just stared her down. She was relieved when her friend Bill came out of the water. Bill also read this dude and was like, this guy's a red flag. And his car had been broken into recently. So because this random guy on the beach seemed sketchy, Bill watched him go back to his white station wagon and he wrote down his license plate number on a little piece of paper. And this guy bailed around three o'clock. So he had been staring at Elizabeth. Bill came out of the water. They were both like, I get weird vibes. Bill writes down his license plate number. That same day, 12-year-old Sean Kingy and her mom, Linda, had been shopping. Sean had ridden her bike to meet her mother straight after school. They had picked out some fabric in order to make a skirt for the birthday party that Sean was attending that weekend. And they parted ways when Linda began to head home along a walking path. It was like a footpath shortcut. And Sean took a bike path through the park on her yellow 10-speed bicycle. Sean should have easily beat her mother home, but she was not there when Linda arrived. And Sean had a lot of friends. She did a lot of things. She was on a netball team. She talked to a lot of people. So Linda was like, she probably got caught up by some of her friends in the park. But when she wasn't home by the time the sun went down, Linda began to feel frustrated. She was a very well-behaved young lady. It was unlike her to be out or gone past the time she said she would be. So Linda started calling Sean's friends, each of them saying that they hadn't seen the blonde-haired 12-year-old since school had ended earlier that day. When Sean's dad, Barry, got home, it was around 8 o'clock, he and Linda drove toward Pinaroo Park. The bike path that she had taken wound around the park, and they were going to just follow her route to see if they could find any evidence that Sean had been there. And within moments, her mom and dad came upon her bike. Sean loved her bike. There was no way she would have just left it behind, so they immediately knew something was awry. They put her yellow bike in the back of Barry's vehicle and they headed toward the police station. The officer that took their report knew Sean because she played netball in the same league as his daughter. And so they took the Kingy's complaint very seriously. They knew their daughter wouldn't just run off without her bike. Mm -hmm. They knew that it, she would talk to them if she was going somewhere. So officers went with them back to the park to confirm that she wasn't in the area. 
And that same exact night, police called the local paper, the Sunshine Coast Daily, to have Sean's picture and details surrounding her disappearance on the front page of the Saturday paper. So they did that. The Kingies had gotten to the police station at like nine o'clock at night. So they were able to get that news out the next morning. It was ready to go. By sunrise, every on-duty officer, the Kingies, and the community of Noosa Heads were on the lookout for Sean. Leads began coming in immediately. Sean had white blonde hair. At 12, she was already 5'6". She had olive skin and large eyes. People reported seeing her at the park the day before. But what stuck out was that several people had reported strange cars in the area. Most, The one being most repeated was a white station wagon with out-of-town plates. And it had been parked near where Sean had gone missing. It was an old Holden Kingswood station wagon, which is exactly what you're picturing. Just mm-hmm. all white. And the police put out the warning. Like, if you drive a white station wagon, you need to come to the police station so that we can clear your vehicle. And the investigation continued. Waterways were combed. Aerial searches were conducted. Detectives came from out of town to offer assistance. And a room was set up and staffed 24 hours a day so that anyone who had information could come forward and there would be someone to take a report on what they had seen or what they knew. They were not letting anything slide on this. Yeah, that sounds like they're doing great police work. Yeah, they really did, I think, everything that they could. If you remember Elizabeth and Bill from the beach earlier, Mm -hmm. they had been watching the news unfold over that weekend, and they were shocked. Not just because a little girl from their community was missing, but because Elizabeth had actually worked with Linda a a few years prior at a cafe. And she remembered a younger Sean and Sean's brother, and they would come to the cafe while their mom worked. The fact that she was missing was surreal. Reporting the odd occurrence with the creepy beach guy and his white station wagon felt more important than ever. So Elizabeth and Bill were able to provide police with what they believed was their strongest lead. Not only were they able to provide a thorough description of this man and this vehicle, but Bill had written down that license plate number. Mm -hmm. L-L-E-429. So close. It was so close. close. The first one just had one letter off and the other one just had one number off. Yeah. It was right there. The registration was a Victoria license plate that belonged to Valme Faye Beck. The address on the registration was more than a thousand miles away. And after speaking with the person who lived at this address, They found that the home was occupied by only an elderly man. However, his adopted son, Barry Watts, had recently visited with his wife, Valme Faye Beck. And while they were visiting, Valme had bought a white station wagon and used the man's address for the registration. The couple had taken off for Queensland shortly after buying the station wagon, and police discovered that Barry Watts had a record and was associated with another known criminal, by the name of Valme Forte, also known as Valme Beck. Both had outstanding warrants in Perth, and because it was 1987, they had to have their mugshots express mailed to Oh, wow. I know, can Like, now they can, can just email them. We'll, like, we'll have yeah. them there in 14 seconds. Don't worry. No, they had to have them express mailed. Valme Beck was born August 2nd, 1943. Her childhood was rife with dysfunction, She was largely neglected. She was sexually abused. At 12, her mother had pulled her out of school so that she could work at a clothing factory. 
2015, she became a ward of the state due to neglect that she had felt for pretty much her entire life. Things didn't get much better for Valmay after she became a ward of the state. For the rest of her teens, she was in and out of jail. Theft, indecent behavior, forgery, among many other things. She had a list of them. It was just a cycle of bad times. Yeah. At one point while in prison in Perth, Australia, she met and became friends with serial killer Catherine Burney, who is also a nightmare human, and we will probably cover her and her Absolutely. husband. Yeah. Definitely. As an adult, Valme married twice. She gave birth to six children, all of which were also made wards of the state or taken by their dads. One night at a pub she frequented, she met a man named Barry Watts. The two shared common interests like getting kicked out of bars or constantly getting thrown in prison. And their relationship was incredibly emotionally, verbally, physically abusive on both sides. So naturally, they were married on December 19, 1986, when Valme was 43 and Barry was 33. Less than a year after getting married, both of them happened to be out on bail from prison. And they knew that their future trials for the crimes that they had just committed would hold long prison sentences. So they ran. The two of them traveled to the opposite side of Australia, where they swapped out their small car for a white 1973 Kingswood station wagon. They had picked this car specifically so they could sleep in it while they were on the run. Valme registered the vehicle in her name, but the address was her father-in-law's address. And they just continued driving across the country looking for somewhere that might stick for a while. They settled on a small town right outside of Brisbane. Barry had a porn addiction. And while they were running from the law, he had left his collection of pornography behind. So he began to watch teen girls walking home from school. And people noticed. He became like a cautionary tale in this town. Like, stay away from that creepy guy. He's yeah, weird. We all um, know him. We all know people like that. Yeah. And Valde would bring it up. It made her angry, this obsession he had with these young girls. But he would threaten to leave her for one of them in order to play on her insecurities and keep her doing what he wanted. And what he wanted started coming out mostly when he would get drunk. The couple would get drunk and Barry would make Valme drive around searching for young women to kidnap and rape. Around midnight on November 10th, 1987, the couple went to a hospital parking lot to just lie in wait for young nurses, finishing a late shift, walking out to their car. They approached two of the nurses under the guise that they were asking for directions, but as we know, one locked her doors and drove away, and another was interrupted and was able to get back in her car and drive off. The next night, Barry made Valme flag down a car driven by a woman in her 20s as she left a retail parking lot in Ipswich. He was able to pull a knife on her, but again, she was interrupted, or they were interrupted. And Valme this whole time is angry. Well, yeah. But not the reason of like, hey, we shouldn't be trying to abduct and sexually assault women. No, it's the insecurity of like, my man wants somebody else. It's exactly right. He was getting mad because he wanted these other women and not her. So she asked, what do I have to do to make you faithful to me? And his answer was that if you help me find a young, pretty virgin so that they could be, in his words, the first and last man this girl ever had, then he would never want anyone other than her again. On Friday. Yep. No, what? Yep. That was what he told her. He was like, you know, if you just help me fulfill this one desire of a pretty young virgin, 
then I'll never want anyone but you. Mm-mm. No. Fulfilling mm-hmm. one desire is that one kink that you're unsure about. It is not yeah, this is- raping and kidnapping a young girl. That is not like, oh, that's my one desire. What? And That's not a desire, friend. No, that's On disgusting. Friday, November 27th, Barry told Valme that today was the day. Barry had become obsessed with the idea of abducting, raping, and murdering a young girl. His recent failures with the women in parking lots had only deepened that desire. So he spent the day stalking the beaches and streets 120 miles away from his home that he and Valme rented. He became angry because all of the women, like Elizabeth on the beach, were too old or they were with men. He felt like he couldn't find exactly who he wanted. But Valme reassured him that she felt good that they were going to get what they needed that day. The two drove to Pinaroo Park and she suggested that they get out and walk around the park to stretch their legs. And as they did this, Sean Kingy happened to be riding her bicycle along the path. Valme pushed Barry out of sight and flagged the girl down. She told Sean that she had lost her small white poodle. The dog was wearing a pink bow. And Sean immediately set her bike down to the side of the path to help this woman look for her little dog. That did not exist. As Sean searched in some brush, Barry grabbed her from behind, stuffing a balled-up piece of cloth into her mouth, and drug her to the station wagon where he held her down in the back while Valmay got into the front and they drove off. Barry tied the girl's wrists and ankles and covered her mouth with a piece of tape while they drove nine miles before turning down a secluded road that ran through the forest. When they pulled over in the woods, Barry Watts spent over an hour violating and assaulting Sean. When he had finished, he ordered the girl to get dressed again and told Valme to bring him a belt. And Valme asked, like, maybe we could just let her go. We'll just leave her here and we'll go. And Barry told her not to be fucking stupid because they couldn't trust her not to give them both. Barry went on to strangle, stab, and cut Sean's throat before dragging her lifeless body to the bank of the creek around 7 p.m. The couple disposed of the evidence by throwing everything bundled together into a nearby creek before they picked up milk and cat food on their way home. They got to their rental about 10 p.m. So she had already been murdered before her parents made the police report. Um, It was probably all going on like at around the the same same time. Yeah, well, I guess not because her dad got home at eight and that was when they went to look for her and he said that they had dragged her body to the creek at about seven so yeah it had happened already oh i hate that i hate i hate that it was wednesday december 2nd when 18 year old neil clark was watching the news about sean and something he had encountered earlier made him think about the forest that he walked through on his way home from work he had smelled a terrible stench And he hadn't really smelled it before. He just thought it was something gross. But he decided that on his way to work the next day, he was going to check the area again. The next morning, Neil followed that stench that he had smelled and what he found would break the hearts of everyone in Noosa. At 9.33 a.m. on December 3rd, nearly one week after the disappearance of Sean, two Queensland detectives followed Neil's directions and discovered the body of 12-year-old Sean Kingy face up in a shallow section of Castaways Creek. She was still wearing her blue and white school uniform, her white sneakers with pink socks. Her throat had been cut and her uniform was covered in blood. 
but the decomposition made Sean's face almost unrecognizable. The autopsy found that Sean had been raped, sodomized, and stabbed 12 times with some of the stab wounds occurring before her death and others post-mortem. Three of the stab wounds had pierced her heart and one of her hands had almost been severed. The police pulled over every single white station wagon that was on the roads. Every Some of them were being pulled over several times a day because they were just so desperate to find the people yeah. who, who were responsible. The drivers would be aggressively questioned about their whereabouts that Friday night. And if they were cleared of suspicion, they would actually get a card that said, hey, like, I've already been questioned. I'm cleared. The photos of Valne and Barry came in and they were confident that this white station wagon that was registered to these people were who they needed. They were faxed to every police station in the country. And eventually, on December 9th, police descended on Lowood, which was the town that they were renting in. Police descended on Lowood when a local officer put out a bolo for the white station wagon that he believed he had actually seen in that area that week. The next night, a man having a drink at a local Lowood pub told officers combing the streets that he had seen a white station wagon in the yard of a house near where he had been working high up on a telephone pole. And he remembered it because he was thinking about getting a station wagon and he saw this kind that he liked in that yard. And the house that they had been renting was an A-frame, so it was stood out. It appeared as though no one was home when the man led police to the house. But after questioning the neighbors and hearing about this creepy guy and his obsession with watching the girls walk to school, investigators were sure that they were at the right location. They were even more sure because the neighbors were able to pick out those mugshots of Watts and Beck and confirm, like, yeah, those are the people in this house. Yeah, those are the creepy fucks. Yeah, these are the very scary people that live here. But when they went inside, it was empty. It looked like people had rushed out in a hurry. There was newspaper from the previous Friday and empty boxes of hair dye. After the couple had returned to their rented house in Lowood, they were confident that they hadn't been seen. But Valme dyed Barry's hair brown and cut it short. She bleached her own burgundy hair to white blonde. They changed their clothes. They washed the car inside and out to ensure that there were no fibers or hair from Sean. Barry, the absolute shithead, continued to reassure Valme that he didn't feel bad and neither should she. They found a new hotel in Sydney, or outside of Sydney, that they were determined to lay low in. They were like, we're just going to lay low in this cheap motel until everything blows over. But their mistake came when they sent a money order in to pay their rent because they didn't want their landlords to get rid of their stuff or to come looking for them. And so the cops obviously reached out to the landlords and were like, hey, we're looking for these people. And they're like, oh, they just paid their rent. That's so weird. So they're like, let's go to where the money order was pulled from. And their money order had pulled been pulled um, at the entrance, which is the name of a town, the entrance. Uh, but that town was 500 miles away. So Sydney police had to send 10 undercover officers to the entrance to just kind of comb the area for a white station wagon. But within hours, one of the officers got a hit on one leaving the grocery store. They followed the vehicle back to the Tienda Motel, and at 5 p.m. on Saturday, December 12th, police burst in on Barry Watts and Valme Beck watching TV and eating snacks. Ugh, bitches. Just living it up. Like, I hate that. I... That is the one thing that I can never understand how they can murder anyone really and just go about their day like it's not an issue. 
Yeah, they're just like, we're just going to dye our hair and hang out at this hotel until people forget. Like, no one's forgetting. Yeah, no one's no in the forgetting this happened. No, the couple did not resist arrest. They were taken without incident for the attempted abduction of Cheryl Mortimer. But they were taken to a police station, separated, and then sat down for questioning about the real reason that they were there, which was the murder of 12-year-old Sean Kingy. But they had been arrested a lot in their life. And Barry would not, he did not say a word. He wouldn't even confirm that the mugshot was him. He wouldn't tell them their name. He would just nod his head yes or no. And he had coached Valme on the story that she was supposed to give police. They had fought. She had stayed. He went and slept at Penaroo Park for a few hours. And then he came back. And that was it. That was the story that she was she was supposed to tell them. They were taken back to Queensland where the two were put into cells that were next to each other so that police could intentionally record and listen anything that they were saying to each other. Every time she told this rehearsed story during question during questioning, she would add new details. She would just be like, just little things like here and there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah this. you know, someone's lying. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you can't keep my kid does that. <laughs> But because of this, they were like, oh, we can definitely break her. And they they got her. Yeah, they got her to talk. And once she started talking, she did not stop for seven hours. Jesus. She told her version of the rape and murder of Sean Kingy in explicit detail. She told police even the tiniest observation and details about every single disgusting thing her husband had done to Sean. She described She was watching. She wasn't she was watching in like jealousy, like she was pissed that her husband was doing that. So, of course, she's going to remember all of it. Yeah. She described Sean's facial expression, every word Barry Watts had said. And when she was done telling her side of the story, her statement was almost 30 pages long and included the fact that Valme herself had cleaned up the crime scene. She'd wrapped the murder weapon and the items used for kidnapping. She'd put them all inside the blanket Barry had done these horrific acts on, and she described exactly where she had thrown them. And it made it very quick and easy for them to retrieve those items, even the masking tape that still had strands of Sean's hair stuck to. Barry said nothing when he was told about Valmay's confession. He was just like, okay. But police left them in their adjoining cells, and he was recorded as saying, no one saw us pick her up and throw her in the car. No one's seen her in the car. No one's seen us kill her. If you hadn't confessed, they didn't have a case. And Velma, Velma, she begged Barry to plead insanity. She was like, just plead insanity. You'll get by. You'll get by. And he responded that he would like to do it again. He wasn't insane because he wanted to do it again. They were sent to separate prisons and put in general population the next week. And they were absolutely and rightfully tortured at their separate locations. As you probably know, Gruesome uses Zencaster to record, produce, and analyze all on one podcast platform. If investing is something that you're interested in, you'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below 
to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. On April 5th, 1988, the couple was met with screaming crowds holding up child killer signs and nooses. Valme Feybeck pleaded guilty to abduction and rape, but not guilty to murder. And Barry Watts pleaded not guilty on all charges. And they had to stand trial separately. On she pled guilty to rape? She pled guilty to abduction and rape, but not guilty to murder. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm. I'll tell you one more thing when in just a second that kind of like makes her sketchy too. I mean, she's already sketchy. They're yeah, she's sketchy as fuck. On October 20th, 1988, in the Queensland Supreme Court, Velma Faybeck was sentenced to three years for abduction, 10 years for rape, and life for murder. In prison, she was branded a child rapist and murderer, and she was attacked regularly. At one point, she was struck in the head with a tin can that was stuffed in a sock, causing partial facial paralysis. Good. Yep, good. You deserved it. And Beck eventually had to be transferred to the Townsville Correctional Center. During her time in prison, she allegedly converted to Christianity. She divorced Watts in 1990 and said she regretted everything she had ever done with him. But in 1993, she started a romance with Robert John Farden, who is another convicted rapist. And they like tried to, they were at the same prison and they tried to get married and they were like absolutely not and they moved him they were like you go to a different prison now because yeah you don't get to him. hang out here you don't get to like be in love with your prison wife i don't know beck unsuccessfully applied for parole three times and in 2007 it was reported that she had legally changed her name to faye cram in may of 2008 she was placed in an induced coma in Townsville Hospital following heart surgery. And police were really hoping that they were going to get a deathbed confession regarding three other unsolved Brisbane area murders of young women. But Beck died on May 27, 2008 without regaining consciousness. On February 8, 1990, after six hours, a jury found Barry John Watts guilty of the abduction, rape, and murder of 12-year-old Sean Kingy. The same judge who had sentenced Val Maybeck sentenced Watts to three years for abduction, 15 years for rape, and life in prison for murder. But he still, during that whole trial, which was why his was so much later, he never said or confirmed anything. Everything that they got him on were from Valme's confessions and just evidence that they had. And if you're like, hey, didn't you just say, did they murder other people? Investigators do believe that they did. Uh, Helen Mary Feeney was a 31-year-old mother and teaching student who went missing on October 29th, 1987, right before, like a month before Sean did. She was a petite woman with light sandy hair. Police believe Mrs. Feeney was taken from a parking lot where her white Holden Gemini sedan was found abandoned. The driver's window had been smashed and it just matched up with their previous yeah, abduction attempts it it's a parking lot it's nighttime yeah barry watts was tried but acquitted for mary's murder in 1995 there just wasn't enough evidence and during this trial valme alleged that they had murdered her and burned her body near lowood and buried it at a location between lowood and wivenhoe dam and at some point during his imprisonment other prisoners found him reading court transcripts from sean's trial and they attacked him and sodomized him with barbed wire. Good for them. Prison yeah. justice. Ayo. 
so he wanted out. He was like, I got to get out of here. So he kept trying to apply for parole, but he would never get it. And in 2009, Barry Watts broke his 20-year silence about Sean Kingy because he wanted to be considered for parole. And to get parole, you have to take responsibility. You have to be remorseful of the crimes that you're convicted. So he was like, I just won't say anything for 20 years. And then I'll just be like, I did do that. I'm very sorry. And they'll give me. Please tell me they did not give him parole. They did not parole. Oh, oof. In an interview, he did admit to the 1987 rape and murder of Sean. And detectives tried super hard to get him to admit to abducting Helen Feeney as well. She was like, you've already been acquitted of this murder, so you can't be charged again. If you confess, it would just provide her family with closure. It would allow her to be declared officially dead by the coroner. But Watts maintained his innocence, and they believe he didn't talk because he didn't want to be known as a serial killer because they might deny his parole. But his application was denied anyways and has continued to be denied until his most recent denial in 2021. He's not actually even allowed to apply for parole anymore because they have told him no so many times. They're like, bro, get the hint. Like, get the hint. Literally. You're not not getting out. 15 times they've been like, no. Like, you're not. Stop trying to make parole happen. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It's not happening for you. So, yeah. That is a sad horrible story. You think he was a serial killer? Yeah. I just think that Sean's murder was so brutal and he was so angry with all the ones he had failed at before. And it wasn't like he like failed at one and he kept doing that. And I don't think he just like randomly started one night. I think he had probably been doing it for years. And maybe what made Sean different is he had spent so much time focusing on younger women, but like still like not teenage adults yeah Yeah. like young adults versus he really wanted a child yeah yep and i don't know i think that they were both gross and both responsible oh yeah and she like maintained that it was all him and that no bullshit as soon as he murdered sean she say it was just him say it was Say you realize, like, oh, my God, this is what happened. Then you go to the police immediately. Yeah, so you're not going to have a look. Like, you got her into the car. And also, so this is kind of what I was going to talk about. At one point, I guess they found Barry Watts crying in prison about a year after he had been in. And he claimed that he did rape Sean and he had done those things to her. But it had actually been Valmade that murdered her. So I honestly sense. think that she had a hand in that. Like, I don't think she sense. was just like a, a watching from behind the car. Uh, a personality like that is never going to be okay with taking the backseat to things when she didn't want him to be unfaithful. Like, right. all she wanted was him to be obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. So I could and see. I could see that. It's just it's heartbreaking i'm glad that her family was able to find closure and her mom wrote that she was just glad that they had her back um even before they had caught who was responsible she was like i'm just glad we have her back and we have this closure and we can uh, grieve properly yeah we can grieve and lay her to rest in her like all of the investigators went to her funeral and after they got back from that funeral that was when they got one of the first phone calls about cheryl uh and the guy who had tried to break into her house and pulled a knife or pull, break into her car and pull a knife on her. Like she was like, hey, it was a white station wagon. Here's 
the license plate almost. That kills me. They were both so close to getting so the license close. place right. And oh, it's just one off. It was just horrible. Hor- just so sad. But shout out for people being vigilant, like vigilant on the beach. And that guy being like, I'm going to write this down. This is creepy. I'm going to write this down. Mm-hmm. I know. It's everyone trusting their gut. And honestly, everyone, that whole community worked really hard to try to find. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't have a complaint. I just about didn't that. realize how many white station wagons were out there. And they described it as dirty. Like it was described as a dirty white station wagon a lot. So mm, it's just hard when you're like, they did everything they could. But by the time they were doing everything they could. Not by any fault of anybody's, no, but literally it just, he murdered her so fast. There was no chance. There was, in a situation yeah. like that, there's not really much chance for anyone to be able to, like, save her, which is mm-hmm. fucking horrific and awful and makes me want to, like, vomit. I can't imagine what her parents went through. But, I mean, I used to do that. Like, I used to, like, ride my bike all over the place. Like, Yeah, and this was, I mean, it wasn't. I think it's a lot, the area is a lot bigger now, just based on what I read. Um, but at this time, it was almost like a country beach town. Yeah. Again, that's just what I read. I'd never been there. So, um, but it has gotten a lot bigger since then. But it was, it's right on the beach. It's where a lot of people like go on vacations. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't unusual, but that it changed the fabric of that community, I'm sure. Like, oh, for no sure. Long, they were no longer allowed to ride their bikes just to hop skip and jump away i think anytime there's anything remotely similar to this it does i mean think about how many kids weren't walking around hartford city after you were abducted yeah i that's i mean that's true but it just puts that fear you know but i also think like most of the time they catch those people well i hope Mm -hmm. most of the time they catch those people those people are off the streets it just kind of opens your you know, mind to what is possible. And yeah, it's like you have why watching the on. news yeah. constantly is so bad for you because you just like can't stop thinking about all the bad, scary stuff that can happen. Oh my God. It doesn't mean right? it will happen. It just means it's there, the possibility. My dad asked me all the time, Oh, did you watch, did you see this on the news? And I was like, Bro, I don't watch the news. Like, not even a little bit. My, I get my news from TikTok. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also don't watch the news. It, I just would rather not. It's just so sad. No like, news is so good sad. news for me. As we have a true crime podcast, I'm like, man, everything people, the content people are putting out is so sad. Like, obviously, us too. <laughs> That's the only content we're, we're looking for here. Well, I just looked in the bottom of my drink and there is a gummy bear in it that one of my kids dropped in there. I've been, I've been had. Did notice it the whole time. Man, that's like a sweet treat though. I dig my hand in there and pull it out. I know, I can and I'm like, maybe just pop this lid off and have it. Go like knuckle deep. It was an orange drink, so. There you go. Down the hatch. Mm, nope. Was it don't a bad recom- choice? Don't recommend a soggy gummy bear. Huh? How long was it in there? A couple long- hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, say it with me. Convenience. We're busy. You don't want to lug around your big blender, and you sure as heck don't want to stand in line or pay the prices at a smoothie bar. You want quick, nutritious, and you want it on the go. I have to tell you about my hands down favorite new kitchen gadget, the Blendjet 2. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. I'm already counting down to warm weather so I can blend up a cocktail from the boat or the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. 
BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Because remember, we love convenience. There are 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. I am obsessed. Meg is obsessed. We've been texting about this nonstop. My husband already picked out one that matches his style because we both have to be able to make margaritas. I mean, nutritious smoothies. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. I went to um, Albany's. Albany's the gummy bear factory. Yeah. On my way to Chicago last weekend, we stopped at the, there's like a shop attached to the factory and you can get all the fresh gummy bears you can handle. For free? No, you have to buy them. It's like a candy store. It smells amazing. Wait, there's a gummy bears? I want to go. No, it smells amazing in there. It's awesome. And um, they have pink grapefruit slices, which is like my favorite candy. So I got pink grapefruit slices. I got a whole bunch of gummy bears. And they're like, there's no staleness at all in these gummy bears. Yeah, it's like primo. Yeah, it is. Pre before they've been sitting on the shelf for a while. And I got Australian red licorice, which is also one of my favorites. I'm a big fan of candy. And some chocolate espresso beans. So much. I think I spent more at the candy store than I spent anywhere else in Chicago. I was curious to ask. I was like, I know how you spend money. And was that your most, your biggest? <laughs> was that my splurge? It kind of was. I uh, I got, they were like smallish bags. It wasn't too crazy. I I just. Have you been to the place, uh, and I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, what did she just ask? Have you been to the chocolate place Uranus by you guys? It's called uh, Uranus Fudge Factory. Yep. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not sponsored at all. Not a but joke. It's, like, this isn't like us digging at each other. There is a chocolate place, like, in East Central Indiana called Uranus Fudge Factory. And they have the best billboards. Like, find everything really you funny. need in Uranus. Yeah, my uh, my husband, it's not very far from where I go to school. And my husband took the kids there one day. And I was like, did you guys get fudge? And he was like, no, I got a pair of socks and the girls got toys. And I was like. You didn't get me any fudge at the fudge factory. Like, that's all I wanted. Right? <laughs> How could you? What is wrong with this situation? But I have not actually gone and gotten my own fudge. I've just, like, driven My parents did, and, and they said it. it was great. They said it was yeah. great. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, marketing adding, like, geniuses. Beautiful. Like, that's true. Like, you put white trash uranus fudge factory like you put a butt joke in the middle of indiana and everyone's gonna be like let's go let's go i drive over from in ohio and every time we get to that exit i'm like let's go to your race it's i have so many far. pictures i have so it's many pictures of it the, uh, off the interstate there um they're gonna open up like an ice cream factory and they're like building a park there like a little like play they're gonna call too. it like I have no idea. I can only think of Uranus is chocolate swirl. Like, there's so many options. You call it a cream factory. Like, <laughs> you know, there's so many different places, things you can do. My 12 year old boy mind is going crazy right now. All of I the know. names of this ice cream. They would love truck. it. 
Oh you- my god, yeah. We showed him the picture last time we went, like drove by it. And I was like, hey, look. <laughs> and my oldest is like, ha ha, very funny. I'm like, no, this is a real place. Have you ever been to Uranus? <laughs> uh, very funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> my cousin took her 12-year-old son. I think he's 12. And his friend. And she said that they just spent the whole time they were there just giggling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like little boy girls. It's funny. God, that's awesome. So if you're in Indiana, look up your <laughs> I was like, that was definitely, that felt like a commercial for them. I'm going to go hit him up and be like, hey, this is our going treat. I'll trade fudge for this one episode. (laughs) All the fudge from Uranus I can take. (laughs) I'll take all the fudge from Uranus. So much chocolatey fudge. It's just such a good name for it. Like, Like you need a little delight when you're driving down the interstate and it's just like, boring boring you see that you're like okay it really brings you in there was i think it was south carolina like they had this like little mini theme park that was called south of the border it was like in between north carolina and south carolina i think and it was like monumental like every time i would drive home i'd be like oh look uh, i know where i'm at now and that's how i feel about this uranus like right off right off you're like oh i know exactly where i am how long it'll take me to get there from uranus gonna take me 20 minutes to get there from uranus sorry it's gonna take me a little bit i'm still in uranus <laughs> i think i might uh, go there this weekend i have to go get my hair done because it's been a minute <laughs> just stop through just, just wait stop in uranus just a quick trip to uranus no big deal <laughs> if you text me i can meet you there it's true we could go to if uranus I'm... together we could go to uranus together <laughs> i've never been to uranus but... okay guys we'll stop i can't okay. help it Okay, that's enough Uranus jokes. I yes. Oh no. Buddy, I can't help it. <laughs> I like how delighted you are by it. Gonna go look this up again and just peruse. Just check it out. I'm trying to think, going back to how cheap I am. You know, I did I did spend a little bit of money this weekend. I bought food, obviously, but I got tacos two times, two nights in a row, different kinds. I got burrito one night. Oh, it's my I should favorite have sent you a picture. Oh, my was, favorite. They were so spicy. It was really good. And I got just like some like Asian trim tacos another night. And I got pizza one night. But I also bought a hoodie. Whoa, money bag. It was on sale. <laughs> we, I have really learned when we were in LA how different we traveled. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a hard time splurging on most things i just live my life like donna and what's this treat yourself <laughs> yeah i leather good treat yourself they only do that one day of the year <laughs> but it's like i don't i don't i think it's because like i'll go months of never buying anything like not buying anything at all and then it's like i go let to let me know months. when you go a month without buying anything. <laughs> <laughs> i do what's funny is like i am the best like, I am OCD about budgeting and money and where savings goes. Like, I am borderline obsessed with it. I check my bank account probably more than anybody else in the world. And for, like, no reason. Like, I'm just like, what's this? Like, and I, Just in case. Just in case. And my husband would tell you that I'm the cheap one because he he has a short That is I'm true just, in your relationship, though. I believe that. Your husband yeah, he has, a, he has a shirt that says, I'm just here for the merch because... He buys merch literally everywhere we go. It could be like a taco stand on the side of the road. And if they have a taco, like, they have shirts. shirts. Like, 
he's he's <laughs> buying it. Like he's, it's just what he does. But when we were in LA and I was like, I'm just gonna buy this thirty dollar sunblock because I don't want to go anywhere else other than the hotel. I was like, we are we're different creatures. I was like, I'll just burn. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just no, I was talking to my husband about this because my husband is also a he does he's not frugal. He's not a frugal person. And um I saw this thing I was on a TikTok or something and it was like ingredient household versus not ingredient household and they were talking like what did you snack on when you grew up in an ingredients household and that's how I grew up so I was like was like chocolate chips and apple but there were never like chips in my house there was never like oh snacks. my god like yeah like yeah designated of us kids we had like a whole pantry yeah yeah there, we had too many kids there were five of us so there was it was like bowl of cereal ramen but other than that it was everything you had to like cook of you had to cook if you wanted you a snack. to this day make my favorite sandwich it had like all the toppings all the fixings and shredded cheese and it was my favorite salt and pepper is like salt this and pepper thing. yeah you got a salt and pepper <laughs> it was like something even during our lost years when we weren't like talking I obsess over. And I You're still like, have like that sandwich. It, it was my favorite part of coming to your house because you It's just that someone else made you the sandwich. That's no, all. I've it's had someone tons. made it with love. I, maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe my husband's just not. I should be like, love me more. Make me love. Put more love into it. Um I I just it's how I make sandwiches. Like you just have to have all the like you have all the ingredients. I don't know. I he has a hard time. He'll like look in the fridge after I go grocery shopping. He's like, we well, have no food. I'm like there's my plenty husband. of food in there. You just have to make something. He's like, like what? I was like, I don't know. Make a quesadilla. There's tortillas. There's cheese. Quesadilla. Done. Go nuts. And he's like, oh, yeah. Doesn't doesn't occur. No, I get the blinders too. I'm like, there's nothing. There's <laughs> nothing. I'm you know starving. What's in this fridge. Work. That's what's in here. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I have like a full fridge, and I'm like, no, I would rather die. <laughs> Where are the pizza rolls? Yeah, nope. There was never an inkling. There's no pizza rolls. There were no Totinos. There's no chicken chicken strips. That's it. We had is. tons of that. If I wanted chicken strips, I was gonna have to cut that chicken and bread that shit myself. <laughs> My parents were like, "There's too many of you goddamn kids to cook." Here's for. a Totino's pizza. I they would cook that. like. I get some snacks, but it's like, I do like freezer snacks. Like, I'll buy, like, french fries from the freezer section and stuff like that. But you do have to, like, prepare them. So I guess it's not really. <laughs> my air fryer. My favorite gadget. Because I'm also like, a, please don't bring me pizza rolls that have been microwaved. Like, that no, is, it's that is not a, the same. No. That is no. okay until you, to... you are allowed to use an oven by yourself. Mm -hmm. And then they need to go in the oven or they need to go in the air fryer. Yeah, or they need to go in the trash with that microwave shit. Get out of here. <laughs> Your microwave pizza rolls. Get them out of here. Get them out of here. I feel the same way about like like chickens, like chicken nuggets or chicken strips. Like you can't microwave those. What it's is your treats? What is your go-to poor kid meal? Like from when you were single? Peanut or butter like and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. Like White breakfast, bread. lunch, and dinner. Yep. Do it all day long. Yep. Peanut butter and jelly or chicken ramen. Oh my God, ramen. I would chicken make ramen, big, jelly. big things of spaghetti and eat it for freaking days. Like days. And then I would doctor up my ramen. Like I could make you some ramen, guys. However you want. I could make it. It could be spaghetti. It could be a taco <laughs> bake. Like I got you. 
Yeah, I even when even at my poor kiddest, if I didn't have bread, I would take a spoon and put peanut butter and jelly on the spoon and just eat it like that. Like mm-hmm. every time. I just love it. I still, I and still... like something about peanut butter and jelly hits. Like, you know, when you make one and you eat it and you're like, I'm going to make another one. <laughs> That's like, how you got to make two. And then it's like four and I'm out of bananas because I got to throw a banana on that peanut butter and jelly. Makes me with feel like a little jelly? bit more. With the jelly. I've only done it with the peanut butter. My favorite peanut butter sandwich ever is peanut butter, hot pepper jelly. It's the hot pepper jelly that does it. And then a banana. Like, just slice up a banana and throw it on there. Did St. Karen give me hot pepper jelly? Is that a South thing? Yeah, probably. she gave me one Christmas, that Christmas that I saw you guys, she gave me, like, a Louisiana gift bag. And I think there was hot pepper jelly in there. I cleaned my fridge out. I got rid of it. I didn't eat it all either, but. It is my favorite. So hot pepper jelly, a little bit of cream cheese on any orifice. <laughs> any orifice? Any hole? <laughs> Anything. Anything you put it on, I'm going to eat it. Celery, carrot, cracker, bread, body like parts. Everything bagel seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on all the things. It's just, it just slaps like hot pepper jelly. It's just. Hot pepper jelly slaps everyone. Put hot pepper jelly on your fudge from your Oh my god, I bet that would be amazing. This is very food focused. Are you hungry? I'm starving. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm starving. We gotta go. Connie's gotta eat. We're losing it here. I'm just getting more and more hungry, and the longer I wait, the worse my food choice is gonna be. <laughs> okay, go go. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.